Can we just, can we just rest in, in the presence of God right now? He's here. You know, technical difficulties and whatever aside, like God brought us here this morning, uh, and we're here to worship him. We're here to lift up his name. We're here to, to, to kind of get kicked off into this week uh, with, with the spirit of God. So we can, can we get a hand, hand clap for just the worship team bringing it and being in the presence of God? So if, you, if I've not met you, if your face looks unfamiliar to me or if my face looks unfamiliar to you, my name is Deshaun. I'm the associate pastor here at Third Street. Uh, and I get the privilege of, of giving the word this morning. Uh, and we're jumping into week four of the family series. Uh, if you weren't here the first three weeks, Corey um, kind of brought the word and set the table uh, for the easy part. I get the easy part. He had the hard parts of, of setting it up. I get the easy part of, of presenting Jesus. So if you will with me, bow your heads, we'll pray, we'll get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for being here this morning for guiding us and leading us here uh, in, this, in this place at this time uh, for your purposes. God, I pray that you uh, would just open our hearts, open our ears, close off the distractions that we may have thinking about um, whatever we need to get back to or what we've come uh, here with. I pray that you would just help us to soak in your word this morning. Uh, God, I pray that you would, uh, you would transform us um, by your spirit so that we can be uh, equipped to transform our families, our neighborhoods, uh, and, the, and the greater world around us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so, um, so last week, if you were not here, I'll give you a little bit of a recap. Uh, Corey talked about the fall. I uh, talked about where God created this perfect family unit, brought everything together, and Adam and Eve... Um, doing some, some silly stuff, decided to listen to the, the, the serpent that happened to be there. And they chose instead to go their own way as opposed to listening to what God had given them, the instructions that God had given them to begin with. So the whole series has been about family and, and beginning with that first family, Adam and Eve, uh, the original intention of that family being a completely, perfectly relational unit. And they were for a time. They understood the order of things, where Adam stood, where Eve stood, where they both stood in relation to God. And then they had that moment where they were led away by temptation to be like God, as opposed to being under God's headship. And that's what led them in that direction. From that time, we have seen the effects of this family disconnect up until today. So if you, if you are here with me and you have a perfect family, go ahead and raise your hand. No hands. That's shocking that there's no perfect families in here. And wives are looking at husbands and husbands are looking at wives. There's going to be some conversations later on. You're welcome. We are imperfect, all of us. We are imperfect as a result of the decision that Adam and Eve made back in Genesis 3. So the family unit was broken. We see the effects carrying on until today. Since that division... We read in Scripture time after time, humanity is trying to fix the problem, trying to, trying to co- correct what was, what, was, what was messed up in the first place. We see brother, I mean immediately, like one verse later, we see brother killing brother. Cain kills Abel based on jealousy. He was jealous, prideful. He did not like that God was favoring Abel's sacrifice, so he killed him. Next up, we see sons disrespecting their father, Noah after being rescued and, and, and being the only family that was on the planet, decides, hey, I'm going to plant a vineyard. 
in the vineyard, he plants, you know, these grapes and, and, and gets some wine, and he's feeling good. He's, he's sauced, and he's laying in his tent, and he's naked. And his son goes in, and he laughs, or he does something disrespectful, and we just know, it's just said like, and, and basically that son was like cursed forever, right? We see this disrespect going on between family. We see husband and wife distrusting each other, um, Abraham and Sarah. A lot of distrust there. They, they go into a certain place and he says, hey, tell them you're my sister so they don't, they don't kill me. They'll take you and they'll do whatever they want with you, but I don't want to die. I'm God's chosen person, so, so just tell them, tell them that you're my sister. And then when God finally says, hey, I've given you this promise, you're going to have this child that's going to bear generations that outnumber the stars. They laugh in God's face. Next up, we have Joseph, Joseph with this fly coat, technicolor fly coat, shines, glimmers. He flaunts it in his brother's face. I can see him, if this is, if this is me as a kid, I could see him like walking around. It's got this big train and he's walking around like in front of us. In front of his brother's face, just flaunting it, right? So you know what they did? His brothers are like, all right, we're going to get you. They sell him into slavery. Try to kill him, sell him into slavery. God's favor rests upon him, but they still, you see that family dysfunction. In Genesis, there is more drama than there is in a Shonda Rhimes drama. All the ladies know what I'm talking about. Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder. Shonda Rhimes, man, she's she's got some crazy drama up in her mind. But there's more drama in the first book of the Bible between families than you can even imagine. And you, you don't have to think of, of fiction for it. It's happening right there. And so we see all of this from Genesis to Matthew. Families are trying to fix, people are trying to fix the problem, but they just can't quite, can't quite do it. It seems every time they fail miserably and humanity is doomed to stay in the same cycle over and over again. But God has something else in mind. Genesis 3.15, God sneaks a little, just a little caveat in there. He says, look, this is what's going to happen. Man, you're going to have to toil and work, and it's going to be tough, and you're going to have discord between the family. But even though, serpent, you think you won this battle, I'm going to, I'm going to put a little fix in the game, right? Serpent, you're going to strike the heel of the descendant of the woman, but he's going to crush your head. You will not win. You will not win. That is the hope that we rest upon, and that's where we find ourselves today, because we are in the in-between. The serpent's head has been crushed, but we are not yet realizing the glory of that. And so that's where we start off today, and we're going to jump into Romans 8, 14 through 16. If you brought your Bibles with you, take them out, open them up, highlight, mark up. If you brought your devices with you. Do it. Uh, Take them out. Look at them. Don't get on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. If neither one is available, it's up on the screen if you haven't already noticed that. So Romans 8, 14 to 16, New Living Translation. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he's reminding them, look, this is the history, what I just went through. This is the history of what we've been through. 
And now we've realized Christ dying on the cross, raising up from the dead, and giving us this new identity. I want to remind you how to live into it. Sometimes we need a reminder of how to live into our new identity, right? You don't need a reminder of, of who you are as, as, as the son of your, your, your parents or the daughter of your parents. But when, when in this case, we need a reminder of who we truly are. We sometimes can live into our false identities. And Paul is saying, look, I want you to know who you are in Christ. See, Jesus lived, died, and resurrected and had been a perfect example of, of everyone who would believe, everyone who would call on him. But when he left, he left the Spirit. He left the Holy Spirit. He's not here physically. Jesus isn't here right now physically, right? Except in a body represented here. In the Spirit, Jesus is here with us. In that Spirit, we are reminded of who we are, what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live. Unless we forget, we're going to keep going. Don't worry. I'll, I'll, we're going to hammer this point home today. Remember who you are in Christ. If you don't forget, if you don't remember anything from this sermon today, remember who you are in Christ. And if you don't know Christ yet, don't worry, I'm getting to you too. So in today's message, right, Paul, Paul talks about living in your spiritual identity and not your slave identity. Obviously, that term slave has a few connotations that make us bristle. Most of the time you hear that and it's, it's like it gets real uncomfortable real quick because you're like, where are you going with this? This passage has been used to justify, and passages in the, in the Bible have been used to justify a lot of things in the past. And Paul here is saying, look, don't be enslaved. My ears are too small for this. <laughs> I need, we, need, we need smaller ear things. Paul is saying here, look, don't be enslaved to your biological family's past. One. Number two, don't be enslaved to your own personal past. I'm just going to repeat that. Do not be enslaved to your biological family's past. Whatever your family, family's history is, abuse, neglect, abandonment, crime, whatever that may be, that does not have to be your identity. Don't be enslaved to that. Whatever your personal past is, whatever you've done, has been done to you, you've thought of, that does not have to be your past. He's saying, instead... Paul always does this. Don't do this. Instead, do this. Instead, choose to have the life and death and resurrection of Jesus transform that whole cycle, break the cycle, and form a new identity in you. Form a new chapter in your life. Because of what Jesus did, you get to now break that cycle, generational sin, family sin, personal sin, whatever, and now you get a new identity. You get to walk in a new way. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in that. Jesus isn't here physically, but his spirit is here palpably. Jesus is here this morning in spirit, in that worship we've been singing, in the words that you read in Scripture, in the conversations that you have amongst each other as brother and sister. As a son and daughter of God redeemed by Jesus, you now get to walk with the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. Paul uses this, um, this concept of adoption. And... One of the things I love the most about his use of adoption, I love, my wife and I have talked about, you know, before we had our kids, um, we have three now, it seems like once you start, you can't stop. Um, it's like Pringles. <laughs> so before, before, we had, before we had our three beautiful children, we had some difficulty um, conceiving. Um, found out later that she had a, a tumor on her pituitary gland. And, of course, that, like, what? 
you know, you get that moment where you think the ceiling just caved in. But we brought it to the community, the believers, they prayed, and it turned out to be something very innocuous, not something that was serious at all. And a few pills that, by the Holy Spirit's guidance, some doctor invented a while back, now we get to have three beautiful children. But before that, yes, praise God, amen. But before that, we, we talked about adoption. We thought about adoption, and that was something that we actually got the process started. We went to the classes and, and, and started, you know, really considering, okay, how are we going to go about this? We, we have a heart for kids. We want to raise children, especially these children who don't have a home. We want to make sure that we provide a home for them in the best way we can, led by the Holy Spirit. And that concept has always been very powerful for me. And he uses this very, very uh, purposefully. See, in the Roman empire at this time, in this culture, when the concept of adoption was thought of, this child that would be adopted into the family, everything from the past was completely gone. Like you were given a new name, your, your debts, if you had debts in your family, if, uh, if, if you had uh, wrongs that were done, if, if you had a bad stigma upon your name, it was gone. Boom, new identity, new person. And so Paul uses this to show how we now through Christ, have been brought into the family of God and our past, the wrongs, the ills, the stigmas, the things that we do not want to carry over, they are gone. You don't have to live in those things anymore. Because of what Jesus did, he brought us into the family, and now we are adopted sons and daughters. So with that knowledge, if you claim Jesus as your Savior, if you claim that you are now a new creation, you're putting on the new and taking off the old. What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be a son or a daughter of God? What it means is you've received God's gift of new life by confession of your heart, by confession of your life, by repentance of your sins. It means you've been redeemed, but not by your own works. One of the things I was, I was back there when we were singing was God revealing in me that we have a performance problem in the church. And here's what I mean by that. I don't mean that, I don't mean that people don't perform well enough. In fact, quite the contrary. I mean that we get so hung up on performing to earn our salvation that we forgot that we've been given this for free. For free? Yes, for free. This grace, this grace is very costly. This new life and new identity is incredibly costly to Jesus and to God. But for us, we get to walk into it by simply believing and confessing with our, with our mouths and in our hearts. And so we have this performance issue where, man, if, if we didn't do something quite right, if, if there was a, a technical difficult, oh, church didn't go right. If, if we didn't do something right during the week, I'm, you know, I, I looked at, the, oh, shoot, I'm I messed up. I'm a bad, I'm, you know, Jesus' grace doesn't cover me anymore. No. This performance issue that we have, we need, to, we need to address it because it is keeping us from grasping the gift that is grace in Jesus Christ. Once we let go of that performance anxiety and performance pressure, man, we can be free to live as Christ intended us to. So, redeemed, not of your own works, but by the grace of that's given to us by Jesus. Your old identity has no power over you. God empowers you to say, look, that old identity is gone. I'm giving you a new one. And finally, you share in the heavenly inheritance with Christ. 
Romans 8, 17, right after this passage you just read, talks about us being heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, which means that, you know, we just had this, uh, this wedding in England, right? Uh, Harry and Meghan, a lot of controversy there, stirred up some, some people's biases. You know, people were kind of wondering, well, I didn't know the English family could be black. I love it, right? They had this, this, this wedding, and, and Prince Harry is, is an heir to the throne, I think he's about the seventh in line or something. So if some crazy stuff happens, Harry gets to be king, okay? This heir, being an heir to the throne means that he has rights to all of the wealth and all the rights and everything that comes with being a king or being a member of the royal family. That's what being an heir means. And so for us, walking into this new identity as sons and daughters of God, in, eight, in Romans eight seventeen, being a co-heir with Christ means that you have been given the opportunity, the responsibility, and the power, just like Jesus had when he was walking on earth. Now, that's heavy, and that's probably intimidating. And you're probably thinking, I'm not worth it. I am not worthy of this. And you're right. You're not worthy, but God makes you worthy. It means that you have the power to transform your current context, whether you're in high school, whether you are out of high school and you're in college and you're looking at the next phase of your life, whether you've got a family of your own, whether you're trying to raise up kids, you have the power in Christ to transform your context. You've been, giving, you've been given the authority in Jesus to change where you live and how you work and, and how you talk to people. And, and if there's brokenness where you are in your, fa- in your own biological family, now this is where it gets real. If there's brokenness in your own biological family, God has given you the responsibility and the authority in his name, to impart his person in that situation. You go in there and you say, in Jesus' name, this brokenness, I'm, I'm breaking this cycle. In Jesus' name. I'm praying, I'm praying against this sin that's been there in Jesus' name. Because we've been called co-heirs with Christ. That's what it means to walk in this new identity. What does it not mean? Let's just cover that real quick. I've, I've, I've been a Christian for... A good, a good while now. Um, I don't know how long I said the prayer at 11, and I didn't start walking until I was like 20. So, you know, you factor the math in there somewhere. I think I, think I want to say that I really grasped the person of Jesus when I was 20. But I've done a lot of these things that I'm about to cover here, the not of, of being a son or daughter, okay? It does not mean that you are untouchable by life circumstances, okay? If you're sitting here thinking, I... I need Jesus so that I can get out of this situation and never have to face difficulty again. I'm sorry, that's not, that's not the right... It, you need to go to hermeneutic to read the... You, 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 you do. You need to understand the scripture a little better. But that's not, that's not how it works. Right? If we are representatives of Jesus and we're living like Jesus, it, look at Jesus' life. It wasn't easy. It was a struggle. Yes. You are not untouchable by life circumstances. However... As you share in those sufferings with Jesus, those difficulties with Jesus, his spirit is there with you to comfort you, to lead you, to guide you, to give you the perspective of why that is being allowed in your life, illness, ailments, deaths. God gives you the perspective to see why, frame it correctly so you're not sitting here thinking, I messed up or I did something wrong so God's punishing me, or God doesn't cover me or heal me because he's not a loving God. Those are, those are lies from the devil. You will go through hardship as a follower of Christ, 
but you're not alone in that hardship. And there's, there is purpose at the end of that hardship. Secondly, all right, it does not mean that you can be self-righteous. You can't walk into, you know, wherever you are and say, hey, I don't know if you all know, but I am now a son of God. So, you know, it means that I've did, I did all these things and I worked my way up and now I'm holy. Uh, I got a badge and everything to prove it, right? You can't be self-righteous. It does not mean you're self-righteous. You've been justified by Christ alone. It does not mean that you're given an excuse to live however you want. You can't go out of here and drive 90 in a 35 and the cop pulls you over. You say, officer, I've been justified by Jesus and I'm a son of God. So that ticket doesn't apply to me. I'll see you later. No, no, no. In fact, in Ephesians 4.24, it says, throw off your old nature and your former way of life, right, of sin and corruption and put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. It means, in effect, you will look to do the right thing more often than everybody else will because you've been given this new identity. And finally, it does not mean you don't have any responsibility. Like I talked about, just because you are now a son and daughter of God, it doesn't mean you can just take it easy. It actually means you are given a greater responsibility. And I'm going to go back to it because this is important. Some of us, some of us have had great family experiences. We've come up. I've been blessed. My family is incredible. We have our brokenness. There's brokenness there. There's issues there. But I've been very charmed compared to many people. Some of us have come from areas, from families that we don't even want to think of. We don't want to go back to. We don't, want, we don't even want to speak about. And, and, and God is saying here, I have given you a responsibility to pray for the family that abused you, that neglected you, that hurt you, the family that scarred you for life. In fact, I've given you a special responsibility in due time when I lead you by my spirit to reconcile that relationship and forgive. To reconcile that relationship and be the bridge, be the initiator of that forgiveness. Because of what Jesus did, we are empowered to do that. I know it's getting hot, and I could go a long time, but I want you to hang with me here. I want you to look inwardly for a minute and think about whether you're still hanging on to your old identity. Are you still hanging on to your old identity? Have you rejected the gift that God gave us through Jesus? And you're looking back. You're, you're, you're feeling a little more comfortable with where you came from. If you want to break that cycle, you have to let the Holy Spirit guide you into repentance, first of all, by saying, Jesus, I'm sorry that I have not received your gift. I want to receive it today. I want to walk in that new identity now. And you receive that adopted identity. Some of you feel like you don't deserve to be brought into this family, right? You feel like, I've done too much. My family's done too much. There's no way. That is a lie straight from the devil. Stop believing that garbage and believe in the words that God has put in this, in this book that says that you are a child of his. And you're welcomed into that family. And you approach him with humility and trust and watch him transform everything in your life. Everything, from your relationships to your future, from, from, from your interactions, everything in your life gets transformed. I'm going to read one more passage here in First uh, John, verse 3, verses 1 through 3. 
It says, uh, see how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. Uh, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. And that's what I was talking about. We have we are in the in-between right now, right? We've experienced, we've seen, we've read about Jesus coming and fulfilling his prophecy, fulfilling what he was meant to do to bring us closer to God. But we are not there yet to where we can fully realize what that actually means. We can do it in part, but we're not there yet. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is, And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. So being a son or a daughter of God, being a child of God, is not easy. But I can tell you, Corey can tell you, anybody who's been walking with God for a while can tell you that it's fulfilling. It's more fulfilling than anything else that that you can imagine in this world. It's not always gratifying immediately. Let me, let me clarify this. There's a difference between being gratified, which means you're just, it feels good, and being fulfilled, which means that you have purpose and you have meaning with your life. Following God as his child will always be fulfilling if you're being led by the Spirit. And even though we've you know, we've all gone through some brokenness with our families. And as we're, as we're in this series and we're talking about what it means to be family, what it means to reconcile our biological families that we've grown up with and our church families and, and what it means to, to really live as a family of God, I think we have to look back at the Scriptures and see what it was that Jesus actually intended for us when He died. Was it just so that we could get through another day being comforted? Or was it for the purpose of establishing his kingdom and for the purpose of giving us a purpose in life to do what we were meant to do? And next week, when Corey comes up to close out the series, he's going to to have the, the task, right, of talking about brotherhood and sisterhood within the church. I'm glad he gave me this one. Because this was, again, this is just talking about Jesus. I love talking about Jesus. I love talking about identity and Jesus and all that. The brotherhood and sisterhood, that's about getting along in the church. And God bless Corey for, 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 for having that task. But today, today I want you to think inwardly, to think personally about your own past. Where is it that your family history is spilling over into how you're living now and affecting how you think about who you are. I'm talking about all the brokenness, everything. And where is it that your personal history is still dogging you, even though you've claimed to be a follower of Jesus, even though you've claimed to be redeemed and to have a new identity? Where is it that that past is just, it's just there and it's dogging you and it's not letting go? I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up, and, and in a minute we're going to do a moment of response, a time of response, and, and as you're thinking about those things, uh, we'll be 
had the opportunity to take communion and to respond to this word because communion is, is where we acknowledge that, that Jesus did it. Jesus took care of the hard work of bridging that gap for us. Jesus took care of the hard work of giving us a new identity. But now how do we respond in kind to that? And so we, we take the bread, we take the juice representing his, his body and his blood broken for us and spilled for us. And we say, Jesus, thank you for this gift that I don't have to work or perform into, but that you've given me freely. And I'm going to have Corey. I'm going to have Nate. I'm going to have Eddie in the back. I'm going to have uh, Eddie and Nikki. Uh, yeah, Eddie and Nikki in the back. Be available for prayer. And I want you to, to consider these things. I want you to, to come up if you feel like, hey, my family history is just, it's weighing me down, and I need to own this new identity that Jesus has given me, or my personal history, dogging me, and I need a new identity to live into. So if you bow your heads with me, we'll pray and we'll respond.